Okay, as Christian said, here, here we go. We are launching our mission series, so taking a break from um, the books of Samuel, and uh, we will be in our mission series the next four Sundays, okay? So if you're new to Trinity, it's something we do each year, not necessarily for four weeks. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. This year it's four. Um, before I get started in our text, just a couple things. Um, want to remind you, uh, Grace Partnership Conference is coming in a little less than two weeks. If you are interested in that, there's a number of us going. We'd love to have you come with us. You can register um, for that at uh, gracepartnership.net, and uh, we're going to have a great time. I, I don't think most of you know, but our worship team is going to be leading um, at the conference for the entire conference, and so please be praying for our worship team. I'm personally super excited about that, and um, just love, uh, just, yeah, just love what that what that is, what that will mean. And so Justin and the team, thank you guys so much for that. So please be praying for them. Please be praying for me. I will be preaching in one of the sessions and uh, would love your prayers for that. And then I also just want to come behind joy in regards to um, that last announcement as far as our journey together. Class goes. Yes, that is for those of you who are new to Trinity. If you're interested, if, you, if you're thinking about Trinity and you're thinking about saying, this is my home church, then you should be in this class um, because you really don't know what home is yet. <laughs> like, you really don't know us yet. And there's just so many things that we want to unpack for you. It's an eight-week class, and so you can sign up uh, for that uh, through the QR code or back here at the information table. So, God's heart for the nations. This week, I'll be tackling Genesis 12. Next week, uh, Shane from Metro will be coming over. He'll be preaching from the book of Isaiah. So you'll see Genesis, Isaiah. The week after that, Eduardo. If you remember Eduardo from last year from Columbia, he'll be with us um, and he will be preaching from the book of Acts, Genesis, Isaiah, Acts, and then Christian will conclude the series from the book of Revelation. What are we doing? We're trying to help us to see that mission is not something that just shows up in Matthew 28, right? Mission from start to finish is the heart of God. And so, wow, we could, we could extend that series much longer than these four weeks, but we want to give you a feel, four different places um, of God's heart for the nations. All right, next what I'm going to do is read um, probably not the best start. It's probably not the best way to capture your attention, but I'm going to read a lengthy quote. Because, because I think we need it. All right, if, if you've been around for a long time, you know uh, one of my favorite books, John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad. And I want to read to you at length from John Piper in regards to missions. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and the goal of missions. 
It is the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations, and I love this, into the white, hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad, Psalm 97. Let the peoples praise thee, O God. Let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, Psalm 67. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, who cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in thee. I will praise to thy name, O Most High, Psalm 104. Mission begins and ends in worship. Well, when you read Genesis 12, who do you think about? When reading Genesis, when you heard Christian reading Genesis 12 a few minutes ago, we, we, we typically come to Genesis 12 and we think, oh, this is an episode. This is about Abraham. Well, Abraham's in the story, yes, but it's not about Abraham primarily. It's about Abraham's God. Big difference. It, it isn't praise be to Abraham. It's praise be to God. Because Genesis 12 shows us God's heart for the nations. If we don't have Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, guess what? It's plug and play. God can plug in another man. And we have Genesis 12. But if we don't have God in Genesis 12, we don't have Genesis 12. Further, we don't have a church. Further, you and I are not saved without Genesis 12. Genesis 12 is through and through about God. God invading the life of a man. Now for Abraham and for me and for you, with no prospect of salvation, no hope in this dark world, God came to you and me and he saved you and he saved me. Which is to say what? Praise him. Praise him. Right? Like this is, this, how do you separate mission from worship? I don't believe you can. Because the moment we recognize that God missioned into our lives to create what? Worshippers of him. To say mission is to say worship because mission is about worship and mission exists, as John Piper says, because worship doesn't. And so Christ came. He missioned, right? Someone missioned in your life. Ultimately, God missioned in your life so that now you'd be here today saying, praise be to my God, right? And so each of my points this morning is going to begin with praise him. Because when we speak of missions, we must in the same breath realize that we have been saved by a missional God, which is why missions and worship should never be separated. So at Trinity, we say, Trinity exists to treasure Christ, grow in Christ, and proclaim Christ. Treasure, worship, 
grow sanctification. Proclaim mission, right? But those are not three separate categories. They are inseparably intertwined with each other. And so here's how the text begins. Now the Lord said to Abram. Now the Lord said. So indicator is going to be about God. Now the Lord said. Now, what we need to know is that before there ever was a New Testament and before there ever was a go into all the world and preach the good news, there was a Genesis 12 where God calls this guy to be a father of a nation, of God's chosen people. From this man, a nation will be birthed and they will be a chosen people who are chosen to make God's name known and make God's name be great among the nations. This, this, this is, wow, what a calling for Abraham, right? But again, remember, it's not about amazing Abraham. It's about amazing God. So praise God. I want to thank you for your participation and your giving to missions. You are a giving church. You give to missions. On March 6th and March 13th, we will just be bringing this to our attention, but we'll be taking a special offering. For some of you, that's a one-time-a-year offering. For some of you, you decide to break that up, and that's a monthly offering. There is no compulsion for you to do so, but we want to make you aware that once a year, we take a special offering that helps fund different mission initiatives throughout the year. So thank you for your giving. But hear, hear me. I want us to do more than give. I want us to go. I want us to go because we've been called to go. So let's pause and pray and we'll dive earnestly into our text. God, I pray that you'd give us a white, hot enjoyment of your glory. White, hot, that would be so consuming in our hearts that, Lord, we must speak. Lord, I pray that you would call individuals and all that that means, Lord. So many things to unpack here, church. Just going to take a deep breath. (laughs) Lord, help us. Help us this morning. Hope us over these next four weeks, Lord, to be consumed with who you are. And so desire to mission and to do so with hearts of worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God help. So point number one. Praise God. God came calling. Verse number one. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, here's the thing. If you're new to Trinity, one of the emphasis that we have, especially when we're just breaking into a passage on a week, it's not how we usually roll. We try to preach through books. So here we are, we're breaking right in. You need to know a little bit of context, right? What's the context? Don't tell me 11. Don't tell me chapter 11 is the context. It is, but what's going on in chapter 11? It's the Tower of Babel. What's going on there? What's going on prior to that? Well, from 9, chapter 9 to 11 is after the flood. And what happens after the flood is really just a display of the wickedness of man's heart. It's a downward spiral to the point that we get to chapter 11 and Wow, the, the, the people here, we're going we're gonna to make a name for ourselves here. So you turn from chapter 11, right, 
No chapter breaks in the original. There is no chapter 12. You just keep reading and you, 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 you turn the page to chapter 12. So you'll see that in chapter 11, there's these great contrasts to chapter 12. All right, I want to point out a couple of them for you. In Genesis 11.3, it tells us that the people said. They're the ones doing the speaking. In Genesis 12.1, this very clear, turn the page, now the Lord said. It's beautiful. Chapter 11, verse 2, the people are journeying around and they're trying to, to find a land of their choice. Chapter 12, verse 1, God calls Abraham out of his land to another land that God will choose for him. Genesis chapter 11, verses 3 and 4, there's this, this theme of let's make a name for ourselves. We're going to build this tower and we're going to make a great name for ourselves. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 7 is, is this, I will bless you and I will make your name great. What a contrast. That's how we come to chapter 12. Chapter 11 is this utter mess of humanity. Turn the page, chapter 12. God's at work in the mess. And God remains at work in the mess today. Praise him. God is at work in the mess of our lives today. So verse one, now the Lord said to Abraham, go. God is calling this man out of the dark mess and out of his country, out of his homeland, away from his relatives. Wow, meaning God's calling him out of the comforts of life, out of his sense of security, right? Pull up the tent stakes, Abram. Pull up the tent stakes of your world. Leave your roots. Leave the place that you find you call home and are comfortable, and I want you to go. Now, Anybody want to sign up for that? What we saw a few minutes ago on the screen, they signed up for that very thing. Recognize. And when, as Christian was saying, you know, one of the things we can do is to pray for them. Recognize what they've signed up for. I don't know. TJ and Lily might be watching now. If you are, text Kim and let her know that you are. But thank you for serving, and thank you for going, and thank you for your heart for the mission. And we as a church want to say we love you, and we are praying for you. Praise him. God came calling Abraham. Praise him. God came calling you. Point two, praise God. God does the heavy lifting. When he comes calling, God does the heavy lifting. There are, I think, seven I wills in these verses, contrasting from what they will do, chapter 11. God makes it clear what he will do, chapter 12. And the first one is he, is he says, I will show you a land. It's the second half of verse 1. The I wills of this section, I would encourage you just to take a highlighter and just note everywhere there's I will, verses one through seven. But they're progressive. The first I will is I will show you a land. The last one is verse seven, I gave you the land. I'm giving you this land. And so there's this idea of, uh, well, the first I will, 
I'm promising you, verse 7, I fulfill my promises. Gray Barnhouse says this, it makes no difference where it is or what it is, what is its geology or geography. If the Lord leads us there, it is the land for us. And I like that. And I like thinking like that. I like to, to, to help us to think, you know, the reason you live in Brevard County is because this is where the Lord brought you. This is where the Lord planted you. This is this is, you, you may think, you know what, I'm here primarily because my job moved me here. No, that's, that's not the primary. That is a reason, but it's secondary to the sovereign God who moved you to this area, put you in your neighborhood, put you in your grocery stores, put you in this county to go. He says, secondly, he says, I will make you a great nation. A great nation. That, that takes a, quite a dose of faith for Abraham. A, Abram. It, it, there's no reason for Abram to be going, you know, I was thinking that. I was kind of thinking great nation thoughts. Nothing whatsoever in Abraham commends him to be father of a great nation. Nothing commends you to be some great evangelist. Nothing commends us outside of the work of Christ to be a spokesman whatsoever for the Lord. All right, they're with us. We love you. Luther, Martin Luther, called this one passage the most, one of the most outstanding and most important passages in all of Scripture. He says this, you should consider that what the Lord promises Abraham here is altogether impossible, unbelievable, and untrue if you follow reason, because it cannot be seen. If the Lord has something like this in mind for Abraham, why does he not let him remain in his land and with his kindred, where Abraham undoubtedly had some influence or reputation? Is the way to success easier among the strange people? where one does not even have a place to set one's foot than at home, where one's fields, friends, neighbors, and relatives are, where one's household has been well established. He was 75 years old, but Sarah was 10 years younger and barren at that. How, I ask you, do these facts agree with the promise? I will make of you a large nation. This means that his descendants would be a great and numerous people. But where are the descendants to come from? Since Abraham's marriage is childless, these huge masses of unbelief and these high mountains, which could suppress his faith completely, the holy patriarch overcomes and crosses by faith. He simply clings to this one thought. Behold, God is promising this. He will not deceive you. Even though you do not see the way, the manner, or even the time of the fulfillment of this promise. If I'm Abraham... And I am in some ways, right? Like we all are. But what about this? But how's that going to happen? But how are we going to fund this? Where's this going to come from? Or how can that be? That's where my heart runs. Matthew tells us, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. And he gives us the promise. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. But what about? 
we need to come to Matthew 28 with faith. He said, go. Abraham packed up and went. It's not a dependent on Abraham's ability. It still isn't today. It's not about your ability or my ability. Humanly speaking, there's no reason, no hope. He's 75 with no children. Sarah is barren. Surely God missed it. He's got the wrong guy. Sometimes we feel like that ourselves. God doesn't have the wrong guy and he doesn't have the wrong gal. He's got you. So the third, I will, he says, I will bless you. Yeah, but what about being a stranger in a strange, strange land? I will bless you. Yeah, but what about when I get to Egypt and for fear of my own life, at the risk of my wife's being violated, I will lie and say she's my sister. I will bless you. Abraham, I will bless you. I will bless you not because you're good, not because you're great, but because I'm good. Because God is great. What if Abraham was to ask, why, Lord, why bless me? And the answer would have to be because it's my sovereign choice to choose you, to bless you. It's my sovereign grace, not because of you, but because of me. Because I've sovereignly chosen you for this task. Church, why has the Lord blessed you? Well, Paul would say it like this to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of your will. No, to the purpose of his will. To what end? To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. In him we've attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. What? To the praise of his glory. He says, next, I will make your name great. Now remember the context is chapter 11. We're going to make a name for ourselves. Our name's going to be great. That's the Babel. Chapter 12, I will make your name great. And he tells us, where is this? I think it's at the tail end of verse 2. 
Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Wow, God's gonna make Abraham's name great so that he can be, and his, his offspring, the nation, is to be a blessing to peoples. Church, God has blessed you He has chosen you. He has cared for you. He has provided for you so that you can be a blessing to others, to a lost and dying world. Number three, praise God. There is one I will that stands out from the the rest. It is verse three. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth. Did you hear? All the families of the earth, maybe God's kind of exaggerating, shall be blessed. Of course, you know me, he's not exaggerating. In other words, God is calling Abram to be a means of grace to all the peoples of the earth. How can that even remotely be possible? In other words, God is calling Abram to be a sort of mediator of sorts, to to, to mediate the blessing of God through him of God's plan of deliverance. In other words, God is calling Abram to be something bigger than Abram. Because Abram can't get this done. This verse three. You see, Abram is a pointer He's pointing us to Christ who is to come. Abraham believed not because Abraham was able, but because God was able. Mission, church, engage in the mission, not because you're great, but because your God is great. Not because you're without sin. Mission because God is able. Now, we often refer at Trinity to Genesis 3.15. It's a go-to text for us because 3.15 is the first proclamation or the first prophetic voice of the gospel in Scripture. So you have Adam and Eve. They've sinned. There is the fall. God is issuing the curse on Adam, Eve, serpent, all of creation. And in the midst of that, God proclaims the gospel the gospel will ultimately triumph over the serpent. The, from the seed of the woman, there will, there will be an ultimate and forever victory. It's the prophetic voice in the garden that God is bringing judgment for their, for their sin. But in the midst of that, judgment will not have the final word. I love Old Testament gospel. The second proclamation of the gospel is right here. It's Genesis 12, 3. I feel like when we come to the Old Testament gospel, we have a great advantage in that we get to look back. We get to read of Christ. We've got all this content to consider. The pathway to the cross is really quite simple for us. But for the Old Testament saints, here you go, Abraham. I've got a promise for you. And it's so grand, it's so completely beyond you, it's so utterly unhuman, it's bigger than you, Abraham, it's bigger than the child you're going to have, or the people that will come from you. Well, this, 
Nothing in all of human history compares to this I will right here in verse 3. The previous I wills, land, descendants, fame, they're all pretty far out there. But this one, it's on a whole nother level. Here's what verse 3 is saying. I'm going to bless you like none other. I'm going to bless you so much that it is going to overflow from you to all the peoples of the earth. How are you going to make that happen, Abraham? Now, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. Somehow, Abraham is going to be a blessing to all the people of the earth. How is that even possible? Abraham can't do that. But Abraham's going to play a part in that, in that the blessing is going to come through the line of Abraham. Listen, you and I, you can, we cannot save a single soul. But God will bless people by saving them through you. God does his work through us, which is amazing. So the blessing here points us to one greater than Abraham. He will be human. He will come through the line of Abraham, but he will be beyond human. He will be God. God will come in human flesh. He will be from Abraham's line, which again means human, but he will be a blessing to all the peoples over all the earth, which means divine, God in the flesh. Only God can make this promise come to be. Nobody can stand back and go, yeah, saw it coming, saw it coming. I thought it was gonna be Abraham. Maybe you're looking at verse three and you're thinking, no, Tim, now you're stretching the text. The text says nothing about Christ. It's simply a promise to Abraham. Stick with what the Bible says, Tim, and don't try to bring Jesus into every passage. Well, I've got a few noteworthy Old Testament scholars that would argue with us and say, yeah, this actually, this is about Christ here, but I'm gonna go one better. I'm gonna skip the Old Testament scholars. I'm gonna skip the New Testament scholars, and we're gonna go right to the Apostle Paul. Because the Apostle Paul, we could, we could literally say he wrote a commentary on these verses. It's called the letter to the Galatians. Paul wrote a commentary on Genesis 12. Galatians was written to help the church because they've been led down this rabbit's trail of a false gospel. False teachers are saying, you know what? If you truly want to be saved, it's great that you love God. Sure, that's a given, but you got to become a Jew. And to do that, you're going to need to be circumcised and you're going to need to follow the law. You're going to need to, sure, love God, but you're going to need some works, some righteous activity. That's what's going to ultimately get it done and push you over the finish line. And Paul shows them that good works will certainly flow out of a heart that's been transformed by God but those works will absolutely never save you because your salvation is through and through by the grace of God. The moment we make salvation to be about our works is the moment salvation is no longer by the grace of God. Church, salvation is by grace alone. You are not saved by your works plus the works of Christ. You are saved by your faith in the works of Christ. You are saved by looking away from your religious activity and looking to the, the life, death, resurrection, ascension of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Christ's works on our behalf, 
we are saved. It's what's called justification by faith, meaning we are justified, we, meaning we are made right, meaning we are declared righteous before the Father through our faith in the works of the Son. What can we say? Praise Him. Now, the way Paul goes about making his case for all the things that I just said is by pointing them and us to Abraham. He says, Galatians 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that, this is, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you, this is verse three of our text this morning, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So you think you might be here and you're thinking your works are what's gonna get it done. It's what's gonna get you across the finish line. What Paul is saying, consider Galatians, Trinity, consider Abraham. That guy that the Galatians would have been like, whoa, Abraham, he's the man. Paul's saying, no, he's not the man. It's faith in the man's savior, Jesus Christ. You could, well, Paul, he, he couldn't have pointed to a better guy in a sense. But Paul is saying salvation is not doing what Abraham did in the sense of works. But salvation is putting your faith in the same God that Abraham did. So hey, church in Galatia, and hey, Trinity Community Church, don't trust in your law-keeping ability to save you. Thank God, praise him, trust in Christ who fulfilled the law on your behalf. Because salvation comes through faith in Christ, not faith in your works, not faith in your righteousness, not faith in what you do, faith in what Christ has done for you. And Paul is saying that that gospel that I just shared with you is for all peoples, all nations. That gospel is to go out. I am blessing you that, that you, you as a peoples would be a blessing to the peoples, to the nations. All peoples. Genesis, Galatians, sorry, three again. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham... That's what we're reading about this morning. Might come to the Gentiles. That's you and me. That's why I said earlier, if we don't have Genesis 12, we're not here. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, I don't know how much Abram understood of all this. Someday, right? Let's, let's, let's have a coffee chat with Abraham in heaven. I'd love to know what exactly did you understand in putting your faith in Christ and the righteousness of God. It's amazing to me. Praise God, number four. Praise God, he went and we get to go. So I wanna close with three applications for us to consider. God called 
Abraham. Leave everything, pack up your bag, and he does. He packs it up, and he goes. And I love just the simple way that Scripture presents his obedience to the call of God. There's no sense of lingering, there's no sense of questioning, and there's no sense of delay. Off to Canaan, oh my goodness, so many missional problems with this calling. Okay, let's just, let's just start off with Canaan belongs to the Canaanites. That's a problem. They are enemies. All right, so I want you to go to the enemies, pack your bags, I'm calling you. And he does. And it's just a beautiful thing for us to consider and meditate and think about. You and I have been called. Called to go. Abram, go to this land of hostility where there will be enemies. So let's review a second. God says to a man, go, he goes, no excuses, age, distance, how far he will need to travel, enemies that will be there. He just goes. He's going to a land that belongs to someone else and that someone else are not his friends. Praise him. That's exactly what Christ has done for us. He missioned to us, we who are his enemies. More on that in a moment. We tend to look for mission in non-hostile environments. We look for missions on the path of least resistance. Everything about your life as a believer in Jesus Christ stands in stark contrast to this world. This world is a hostile environment. Encourage you, don't be offended by that. Don't be offended by the world that is hostile towards your God. Don't get self-righteous about that. I can't believe the cursing that goes around at the, at the, at the, at the water station, whatever, at the coffee station. Blech. Right? Like, I, I just don't want to be around that. God's called you to that. He's called us to that world. And so often in the church today, self-righteously, we're going, keep distance from that. Right? Don't, I don't like that political view. I got to keep my distance from that political view. God's called you to the nation's. He has blessed you to be a blessing to the peoples. It's the whole point of the gospel. Thank the Lord that he didn't look at us and say, I got to keep my distance from that. He should have kept his distance from that. And it's in his mercy. He doesn't pull back. He leans in. You are light, light in the darkness. You are life in the midst of death. So, go. Secondly, mission is, humanly speaking, impossible. We might as well join with Sarah and laugh about the fact that you and I are called to go. Who am I to be a witness for Christ among the nations? See, God had a plan from the beginning, and Abram is a 
in that line of God's plan, and ready for this, if you are a genuine believer of Jesus Christ this morning, you are in the line of that plan of God blessing the nations. It's beyond you. It's beyond us. It's impossible. That's why each point begins with praise him. (laughs) Praise him. That's the whole point. Praise him. He is a God of mission. And that's why you and I are saved this morning. Praise him. We are a mess and we were his enemies, but he leaned in and he saved us as his enemies and made us his friend. Praise him. We are adopted into the family of God. Praise him. You and I can't get missions done by ourselves. Not supposed to. That is why he told us to go and I will be with you to the end of the ages. Praise him. Missionally, missions is humanly impossible. Praise him. God is absolutely going to use you as you go and step out in faith. And people are going to be saved. If the worship team would join me. Number three, mission isn't comfortable. Now for the younger folks in the building, you may not have heard of the name Jim Elliott before, but my generation, we all know Jim Elliott. And for you younger ones, I want you to know, Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries who was killed All five of them were killed, seeking to reach a tribe in Ecuador with the gospel. And Jim Elliott famously said these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Give up what you you have to, to pursue and follow what God has called you to, church. Lose what you have in your hand to then go to the unknown and the uncertainty of missions and trust God. Go to what is uncomfortable. Missions is hard because we like our comforts and we prefer to simply just send someone else. Some people say some are called to go and some are called to send. No, we're all called to go. And some of us remain local And continue to be gainfully employed and help those who are called to go to a foreign field. So missions is hard because we like our comforts. Praise him. Christ left the comforts of heaven. Christ left his homeland. He left his father's house to go to a dark world, to a foreign people, to leave the comforts and to suffer. And that's mission. Martin Luther said, Abraham followed the naked voice of God. He left all and followed the Almighty, preferring the word of God to everything else and loving it above all.